Well, hey, everybody, and a very big welcome, and thank you so much for joining us for part four of the series that we've been in, entitled Peculiar. It's been an incredible journey as we've taken a look at what it means to be holy, what it means to be set aside, what it means to be called a royal priesthood, a chosen people. What does it mean when we think differently, act differently, behave differently? We, we fly in the face of the norms of the world. We love our enemies when the world is teaching us to hate them. We embrace our wives and we love them as Christ loved the body when the world is telling us to divorce them. It's going the extra mile. It's a daily call to a different standard. And we have been chosen. We've been set aside for this, our call. So let's pray together as we jump into part four of the Peculiar Series. And this week, we're entitling the message, Get in the Game. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together from wherever we are in the world. We can shape and change and be shaped and be changed by you. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you don't leave us where we are. You want to grow us. You want to help us. You want to propel us forward. You want to do more with us. Father, you are an amazing God and we love you. And We pray that this message today, straight from your heart to ours, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if you're joining us at home or if you're joining us here in the room, thank you so very much for joining us. We just absolutely love being able to come together from wherever we are in the world. And when we think about what we've learned over the last couple of weeks, we realize that we are all on a perpetual journey of growth. We are all on a perpetual journey of growing with God, of learning how to live out His principles, learning how to live out His promises on a daily basis. Isn't it awesome that we can come together and celebrate the fact that we are not supposed to be obedient to the laws that were outlined in the Old Testament law, and we've been learning in this in our, in our weekend messages, but no, we are now obedient to the promises of God. We are obedient to the promises. We, we are obedient to healing. We are obedient to abundance. We are obedient to the greater things. The love of God is what we are obedient because Jesus Christ has come. He was different. He was peculiar in everything that he did to show us that when we start walking out the promises of God, our lives will be different. When we start walking out the principles of the Father, our lives will be different to those lives around us. We, in fact, are called. And Peter, we've been having a look at the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 being the theme of this message. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. Say to yourself, I am God's very own possession. Come on, folk in New Zealand, why don't you type in the chat room right now, I am God's very own possession. Hey, for those of you in the United Kingdom, type in, I am God's very own possession. For those of us that are here in the United States, if you're joining us from anywhere in the United States, why don't you type in there in the chat room right now, I am God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. You have been called by God to be chosen, to be different, to be peculiar, 
so that you can show those, the ben- others, the benefits of being peculiar, that we are declared holy, that we share in His glory, that we are sharing in His family. If we are peculiar, if we are different from this world, we immediately assign ourselves to the family of God. The moment we step out of this world, we start thinking differently. We start behaving differently. When trials come our way, we approach them differently. When enemies come up against us, we approach them differently. When we start choosing on a daily basis to live our lives as a different standard, we immediately bring attention to the standard giver. We immediately give attention to the reason why we are peculiar. We are peculiar so that we can come out of the darkness into his wonderful light and shine light back into the darkness, glorifying the Father. Today, I want to pick up on this theme of being radically different when it comes to persecution. Now, that's not a word we, we often hear a message about. It's not a word that we often preach about. We, we don't come to church on a Sunday morning or, or during the week here online to say, let's preach about persecution. It's going to be a good message. In fact, it's been said of the message of persecution that it's the most inspiring message you never want to hear. And today's message really is the most inspiring message that you probably never want to hear. Have you ever had those kinds of messages that you want to hear them, but you don't want to hear them? You know, when, you, when you're at work and you know there's a plumber at home working on the, the pipe work at your home, and you get a text from his number, and you can see in the text preview that it starts off with good news. And immediately in the back of your mind, you go, I need to read this because there's good news. But in the back of your mind, you're going, what's the bad news? Uh, I, I got one recently. Good news. Plumbing, all okay. No charge for today's call out. But then you look a little bit further. Bad news. Roots growing into other pipes. $6,200 for repair. Ouch. The kind of message you need to hear, but that you don't really want to hear. The good news and the bad news are bitter and sweet. And today's message really is a message, an inspiring message that you probably don't really want to hear. Jesus never ever promised us that if you just believe in me, you will be rich, that you will have no future problems, that your children will always do what you ask them to do. He never ever promised that we will never be heartbroken that it would never rain on our vacation or that we would always get the car spot right next to the entrance to the shopping center. He never ever said that your plumbing would never back up, your washing machine would never end its lifespan and the fridge wouldn't stop working in the same week as the dryer stopped up. But he did promise us some things. He didn't promise us that our lives would never be ironic. It would never have bitter and sweet. In fact, when I think of the word ironic, I can't but think of the song by Alanis Morissette. Isn't it ironic? It's like rain on your wedding day. It's like a black fly in your Chardonnay. It's a death row pardon two minutes too late. It's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride when you've already paid. It's the good advice that you just didn't take. For those of you who don't know who Alanis Morissette is, maybe you should Google it. You might need to Google the spelling of her last name, but Google her and you'll find this song. But Jesus never ever promised that it would just be all good. He never ever promised that it would just all go well with us when we become Christians. He never promised that there wouldn't be some irony 
in the thought process about being a Christian and yet still having to walk out some of life's difficulties. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 says that time and unforeseen circumstance befall us all. Whether we believe or not, there's going to be some things bad that happen to us in life. Christ did, however, promise what we often hear. We, we, we hear this. He promised us the contrary. In fact, he said in John chapter 15 and verse 18 and 20, he said this. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So Jesus didn't only not promise that everything would go well with us if we believe in him. He promised that everything, that things would go poorly for us sometimes, that there would be persecution that would come our way if we believed in Jesus Christ. That scripture in John chapter 15 and verse 18 and 20 is the irony, is the, isn't it ironic, version of our lives. Christ promises us life and glory if you believe in him. But it isn't ironic that when we believe in Jesus, he also promises us persecution. This is the most inspiring message that you don't ever want to hear. And this drops us neatly into where we want to start reading today from 1 Peter. Now, I hope that back home, you've been going through 1 Peter and you've got as excited about the book of 1 Peter as I have been. And I hope that we've been maybe jumping on the Facebook group and, and sharing with one another what our thoughts are of 1 Peter. If you haven't already done so, I really want to encourage you to say, hey, let's take the book of 1 Peter and let's just bring it into our personal study, our personal growth. Let it soak into you personally. Share online. Share in our Facebook group. The, the host is sharing a link right now that will take you to our Facebook group. And you can start sharing. Maybe you are in a life group already on, your face, on Facebook. And you can start sharing with your life group your personal understandings and wisdoms that you're drawing from the book of 1 Peter. But to set the context, if you don't remember the first session of the Peculiar series, the context is like this. 1 Peter was written by a guy, believe it or not, called Peter. And Peter was the same guy that used to walk with Jesus and get all of Jesus's focus. He was always running around trying to be the center of Jesus's attention. He was kind of opening his mouth to change feet most of the time. He, he used to say crazy things and, and he was impetuous and impulsive and he was just that kind of guy. And he writes this book many years later after Jesus is now gone. The Christians are going through some severe persecution and he writes this book with all of that, his, 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 impet his impetuous spirit, his, his impulsive spirit, now, now made wise through the teachings of Jesus, now made governed by the Holy Spirit in his life. And now, now he writes this book of 1 Peter in a place of, of almost spiritual balance. He's not the guy that's opening his mouth to change feet anymore, but the same confidence, the same impulse that created him has now given birth to genuine divine faith in his life and a boldness that comes from God, not his own thought process. And Peter writes this book to the Gentile Christians that are going under severe persecution at the hands of a guy called Nero. The guy was mad. He killed his first wife. He killed his second wife. 
Maybe they were mad and he had to kill them, but, but he was crazy. He killed his own mother. He killed his own sons. In fact, when he, when he was held back from the, by the Senate, he wanted to build more and build more and build more. He was so focused on building that, that he would actually destroy what he had built just to be able to build new. And when he couldn't build anymore because the Senate said no, he burnt down Rome. And when he took a whole lot of heat for burning down Rome, he, he decided to just blame it on the Christians. And then he, he blamed it on the Christians, and because of his blame of the Christians, he launched this massive persecution attack where he was burning them as candles in his garden. He, he, was, he was putting them in the center of his, his dinner parties and watching families being ripped apart in front of each other by wild dogs. The man was crazy, and he was unleashing a crazy amount of persecution. There's that P word. He was unleashing a crazy amount of persecution on the Christians at the time. And into the heat of that persecution, Peter writes, and he, and he, and he writes to them about saying, hey, we're going to have to be different. We're going to have to think differently. And we're going to have to be different. In fact, he calls that being different holy, set aside. Now, persecution is not foreign to the Christian church. That wasn't the only time in Nero's time that the Christian church was persecuted. In fact, many believe that this past decade was the worst decade of persecution ever to hit the Christian world. My wife and I have kept contact and often support an organization called Open Doors here in the United States. And Open Doors as an organization, as a nonprofit organization, you can look them up on the web. They are focused on bringing the gospel into countries where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Usually Christianity is banned in those countries. And I was in contact with them recently to get some statistics on what did this last decade that look like for the church and for persecution. On average, they tell me, 370 Christians over the last 10 years have been killed every single month. 300-odd Christian churches on a regular basis have been destroyed, property burnt down, and completely obliterated every single month of the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, every single month, there's 800 acts of violence, which includes rape, beatings, torture, and the like against Christians and Christianity. Now, you, when you hear the word persecution, and you, you, you automatically think about that's what persecution is. It's, it's losing your life. It's being imprisoned. And all of us go, thank you, that's no there's no persecution in my area. Thank you that I can come to church freely and openly. For those of you who are receiving this broadcast right now and are watching on the sly, you're watching in secret because you know that if anybody found out that you were actually participating in a Christian church, even though it's online, hey, you would be persecuted for what you're doing. We want to say thank you for taking the faith risk to still be part of our family, even though you could be severely persecuted for watching this broadcast. For those of you who are living in areas where there is no persecution for your faith, Thank you for your obedience in sowing into this ministry so that we can make these broadcasts available to go into places where we couldn't go physically, but the gospel can still go spiritually. And as we have a look at this definition of persecution in our lives, we breathe a big sigh of relief thinking that it's happening over there. It's happening somewhere else in our lives. 
Peter, in the context of what he was writing, could have very well have changed what he meant. He could have very well have changed that whole scenario. He could have maybe been writing to Christians in Libya, and he could have said, you know, you might lose your head. You might be beheaded for me. He could have been writing to Christians in other parts of the Muslim world where, it's, where he might be saying, hey, you might be shunned by your family if you believe in Jesus Christ. You might be put aside, hey, because you are no longer Muslim, but you are Christian. He might have been writing to you, the Jehovah's Witness that was disfellowshipped, discommunicated, and and completely detached from your family because of your belief in Jesus and your genuine belief in Jesus. He he was writing into a whole scenario, a whole collection of scenarios of persecution. He wasn't just talking about persecution which came from being beheaded or imprisoned. No, he was even talking to you who aren't being invited to a party because you are a Christian. He was talking to you who didn't go on the second date because you didn't want to have sex on the first date. He's talking to you who didn't want to laugh at that racial joke because it goes against God's principles of impartiality. And as a result, you were shunned by your co-workers. You see, God in his word is talking to anything that comes up in opposition to his holy people. He's talking about whenever you receive opposition to being like Jesus. He's talking about anything that comes up against you because you wish to participate as a holy member of a chosen nation. This is the, is the situation that Peter is writing into. He's not just writing in to those who would be burned at the stake for their beliefs. No, he's writing in to those who would lose their family because of their beliefs, maybe lose their job because of their beliefs. And this is what he writes. To any situation where there's opposition to holiness, Peter writes this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. He writes this in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. If you're living faithfully for Christ, he says, don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't be surprised when you face resistance. Don't be surprised when that opposition escalates to resistance. That resistance escalates to full-blown persecution. Don't be surprised if you are going to face opposition. But you're only going to face opposition if you are faithful to Jesus Christ, he says. You're only really going to feel the heat of that persecution if you are faithful, passionate, and bold for Jesus' name. Now, what do I mean by passionate and being bold? Well, I was going to bring up a water bottle here today to show you my water bottle flipping skills, which are relatively zero. That's because unlike many teenagers and kids around the world, when the bottle flipping craze hit, I didn't have the time to sit around and get the water level just right in my bottle so that I could become a bottle flipping master. You see, why do I use the comment or the story about bottle flipping? Because (laughs) I was sitting watching my kids play basketball the one game. Now, I've got three homes. During basketball season, I've got three homes. And during soccer season, I've got three homes. During basketball season, I've got my first home is my actual home. It's where I live, my house. 
I won't tell you what that is. You might Google stalk me. The second is, is the church. This, this is my place. This is where I spend a whole lot of time. The third area that I call home during basketball season is on a basketball court in a high school somewhere in Oklahoma or Texas. And I've seen some pretty crazy places, and it's been a blessing to be able to visit some of the crazy places that we visited where the, the big event is the basketball game. During soccer season, the first two homes are exactly the same, but my third home is at the sidelines of a soccer pitch somewhere watching my son and his team win, because they always win. Even if they lose, they can justify why they lost, and they it's actually a win. But the fact is, is that I've watched kids on the bench, and I've watched the ones who really want to be in the game, and I've watched the ones who just want to come along to be part of the team. And there they sit, bottle flipping, while they're waiting for their call up onto the team. There they sit with their, with their tracksuit on, their, their practice gear over their main match gear. They're busy chatting up a young lady on the bleachers, not my son, mind you. They're sitting chatting up or talking to their friends, and they're sitting there, and they're in the game, but they're not participating in the game. They're part of the team that's playing the game, but they're not really in the game. And as the opposition looked at these kids who, who are bottle flipping and on their phones and talking while they're sitting on the bench, the opposition on the ground that are playing the, the sport look at our bench, and they don't get threatened. They don't feel like they got anything that they need to worry about because even though they can see that our bench has players on it, they know that they, the players aren't really ready to go on. They're not really ready to be engaged. And if you're the opposition and you were one of, and I was one of those kids on the, on the bench bottle flipping and on my phone, the opposition really wouldn't worry about me. They would look at me and go, there's a challenge. There's a threat. They wouldn't look at me and go, he has been practicing. He has been setting aside time to really be involved, to really be inspired, to be here. No, they wouldn't be afraid of me at all. But then if you could imagine that I put down my bottle, I put aside my phone, I quit chatting up the most gorgeous woman in the bleachers. Her name's Leanne, and she happens to be my wife. And let's say I take off my tracksuit, and I get on that field, I get on that court, and all of a sudden, the opposition sees that I mean business, that I'm serious about this game. In fact, I've got some skills. I've got, I've got some incredible skills, and, and they start seeing me work. They're not going to stand back and go, well, let this player pass by because he was the player that was bottle flipping on the bench. No, they're going to all of a sudden start rallying. There's going to be some game changes that are going to happen in their match play. There's going to be some focus on tackling me. There's going to be a real effort to stop me from doing what I've been set aside to do. Now, when we are sitting on the bench bottle flipping, we're sitting looking for our own happiness. We're sitting looking for our own comfort. But when we stand up, we take off the things that make us comfortable. We take off the, the practices that are mediocre. We take off the things that keep us in our zone and we step up into the game. All of a sudden, we are a threat to the opposition and the opposition will threaten us back. When we move from happiness to holiness, 
When we move from our own comfort, understand that when we move from this happiness to holiness, and when we move from comfort, we also move into persecution. We can't expect to be comfortable and be happy and never ever receive any persecution, but at the same time, never be set aside and never be in the game. God has called us to be in the game and ready to be stepping into the game. He wants us to move from just being comfortable, from our own happiness. He wants us to move to holiness. But with that move from happiness to holiness also comes a move from comfort to persecution. The team that we're playing against is not just going to let us score goals or put the ball through the hoop at, at will. No, they're going to come up against us. When the opposition sees that we mean business, they are going to bring the persecution on us. Now, if you're sitting on the bench today spiritually, you're not serving maybe, you're not giving, your prayer life is weak, you're not really sharing your faith with anybody, well, I want to say to you today that you're busy sitting on the sidelines. You've got the name of Christ on your chest. You've got the colors of heaven on your tracksuit. But you're busy bottle flipping, chatting up on the phone, and distracted from the game. Let me tell you, when Satan looks at you, he doesn't see any threat. He doesn't see any challenge. He doesn't see any powerful prayers. He doesn't see any prophetic words being moved out and lived out. He doesn't see any challenging fellowship of growth. He doesn't see any bold faith. He doesn't see any God-oriented risk in you. He's not threatened by you. Because you, even though you have the name, are not in the game. Get in the game. Because when you get in the game, the enemy will take notice. And we kind of go, well, then do I really want to get in the game? If the enemy's going to take notice, do I really want to get in the game? Well, you can't be in the game and not expect persecution, but you can't expect to live your life without being in the game. And so what Peter was saying, don't be surprised when you get in the game that you're going to get some opposition and some persecution. Don't be surprised. It's like somebody rushing back to their sergeant after being in, in live combat, in real combat, rushing back, weeping, saying, hey, Sarge, they're using real bullets. Don't be surprised when you run out into the game and you receive some opposition. But let me tell you something. I would rather be in the heat of the game in the face of that persecution, in the face of that opposition. I would rather be staring at my enemy in the battlefield on that front than sitting bottle flipping on the side, calling myself a player, calling myself a hero, saying how good I am, as opposed to stepping up and being good and holy and set aside for Jesus. You see, if we live our lives on the sideline, we will always feel sidelined. When we live our lives looking for the easy way out, life might be easy, but we have no faith. We have no boldness. We have no courage. And we certainly aren't staring Satan in the eyes, telling him of our Christ and the word that our Christ left for us. Christianity is not a playground. Christianity is a battleground. And it's time that we stood up despite the battle, despite the persecution, and responded to the call by Christ to be holy, set aside, and a chosen people. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he continues about persecution, and he says this in verse 12 and 13. 
He says, instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in the suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. You see, the Scripture tells us that we're going to partner with Jesus. Now, we are very quick to want to partner with Jesus when it comes to the promises. We are very quick to partner with Jesus when it comes to the glory. We are very quick to want to partner with Jesus when it comes to the wonder of the blessings of being with Jesus. We want to be in the game, but we don't want to fight. We don't want to be part of the hardship. No, partnering with Jesus means that if we want to have the blessing, if we want to have the glory, if we want to see His eternal glory becoming manifest in our lives, we have to be willing to partner with Him in the trials, in the tribulation, so that we can partner with Him in the eternal blessing. We can't expect to have the one and not the other. How many of you know that if you go into partnership in business, you have to partner with your, your business partners around the risk and around the liability, but you can also partner with your, pro, your partners in the profit and in the joy of a growing business. You have to take the one with the other. So many people today in their Christian walk are seeking comfort, pleasure, and ease. They want to avoid confrontation. They want to dodge any opposition that might come up to them. They want to take the path of least resistance. Maybe that looks like for you that you smoke and you drink socially because it's the, the thing that everybody else around you is doing, so you do it to fit in. And maybe that's where it all started because you weren't willing to get up out of the bleachers and get in the game and say no to that first cigarette, that no to that first drink when you shouldn't have. Now all of a sudden you're sitting in the bleachers flipping a bottle with a drug addiction and an alcohol addiction. So if you if you're looking at this life, you're looking to find the easiest way out and take the path of least resistance. Maybe you've been laughing at those racist or sexist jokes at work. When you know it's wrong, when you know that joke is hurtful, you still laugh just to fit in. Maybe it comes Thanksgiving and instead of saying a blessing over the meal, no, you hide your desire to pray over the meal so no one at the table pokes fun at you. There's two cycles we can be on. We're either on the bench or we're in the game. If we're on the bench, well, you're going to be in the cycle that looks something like this. You're going to really enjoy your own comfort and you're going to pursue your own comfort. You're going to avoid all opposition. Confrontation is not something that you ever want to do. And I'm not talking about being pig-headed. I'm not talking about being harsh. I'm talking about choosing the battles to prove that Jesus is your king. I'm talking about stepping back from the battle when Jesus' name is involved, when Jesus' word is involved. You're going to get into a cycle of pursuing comfort, avoiding opposition. But let me tell you something. If you're in that cycle, if you're in the cycle of always sitting on the bench and, and doing things that make you comfortable and happy, if you're in that cycle, I can pretty much guarantee that your faith is waning. Your faith is drifting. Your faith isn't as strong as it used to be. Your first love is a distant memory. 
And you slowly but surely, as you're losing faith because you're not willing to get in the game, as you're losing faith, you're losing passion for life. You're losing a boldness. You're finding that everything overwhelms you, that everything is pressing down on you. And you've got the audacity to stand up and say that that's persecution. No, get in the game. Face the persecution for Jesus and watch him give you a boldness to overcome the things of this life, the things that befall us all, the issues that will happen to everybody, the things that are just seemingly ironic. You see, the kind of persecution that we speak about is often a self-centered persecution to make ourselves look so downtrodden, so lowly. I'm not talking about persecution because sadly you lost a loved one to death. No, I'm talking about the kind of persecution where you'd rather be put to death than renounce the name of Jesus. You'd rather not laugh at that joke and declare Jesus' word into that situation. That's the kind of persecution that we're talking about today. You're going to avoid that kind of persecution, but your faith will weaken, and eventually you will find that your life becomes empty. There's a second cycle that you might want to get into. It's a cycle that starts by you deciding today to live boldly for Jesus. A cycle that starts by you deciding before you even get to the venue to play the game that you are going to be a person that faces opposition, that you're willing to rush out at situations that defame the name of Jesus, just like David rushed out at a Goliath that was defaming the name of his father. You are a person that will live boldly in the Word, that will speak out the Word of God, And you know what? Even in Christian circles, sometimes we get that one person that's just a bit loud on Facebook, that just just quotes that extra scripture when they shouldn't have. Have you got someone in your life that you look down and go, oh, I wish he wouldn't be so forthright with his faith? Are you hearing what you're saying? You're saying that you'd rather be surrounded by a bunch of bottle flippers than people who fight the fine fight of faith with Jesus. I could never be too loud when it comes to the Word. I can never quote too many scriptures. I can never give enough godly counsel. I can never stand up for enough Christian principles. I will never back down from speaking what God has placed on my heart and the authority that He has given me on this earth. Because by backing down, by bottle flipping on the bleachers, I'm giving Satan the authority in the battle. And I do not want to be the one that hands the authority that Jesus Christ has handed to me back to Satan. The gift that Jesus has given me to rush out into the game with all authority, face the persecution, and have a beautiful, accepted, eternal life with him, that kind of authority should never be given away because of apathy. No, that kind of authority should be held onto, rushed out with in the heat of the battle, knowing what kind of authority that we have in Jesus Christ. When I get into that cycle, watch my faith strengthen. Watch my life become closer to Jesus. Jesus is in the battle. He's not sitting on the bleachers. If you need to be closer to Jesus, get in the battle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got closer to God by stepping into the fire, not running away from it. They walked with the angel of God in the heat of the moment, not in the coolness of their comfort. When we look at pursuing this this opposition rather than running away from it, Watch our faith strengthen and our lives become closer to Jesus with a boldness that will be second to none. He continues, does Peter, in verse 19 of chapter 4. So if you are suffering, 
in a manner that pleases God. There's kinds of suffering that doesn't please God. False humility, woe is me, I'm this, I'm that, calling yourself to the bleachers, calling yourself to the bench, instead of calling what you are on the battlefield. And so there's this, this suffering that pleases God. It says there, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never, ever fail you. Trust and do what is right. Quick story as we close this message today. I always wanted to be my senior year class captain. A couple of sessions ago, I told you about the story of where me being class captain in school was a thing that started almost all the way back at grade five, standard three. And in my senior year, now I'd matured, I'd grown up as a leader, and now I really wanted to be, in my senior year, I wanted to be class captain. At this point, if you remember the story, my nemesis, Revel Halet was no longer on the scene because now I was in high school and I went to an all-boys high school. But I had other competition and I had other boys that were going to stand up and say, no, I wish to be class captain. But in the process in my senior year, I had to go through a, a process to become class captain. I had to go through an interview process. I had to apply. I had to run a campaign to get other people to vote for me. And one of the questions that was asked of me right back then was what do you believe in? Now, there were many answers to that very ambiguous question. It could have been, do you believe in Jesus Christ? But in that space of the school I was in, you couldn't speak about Jesus Christ openly like that. So the question was kind of lukewarm. It's kind of a new agey question. What do you believe in? I could have written a whole paragraph on believing in the human spirit Believing in honor, believing in integrity, and I probably would have got more votes writing that answer than saying I believe in Jesus Christ. And so I got that question, and I really believe that if I gave the wrong answer or the right answer, depending on which way you looked at it, I would either become the class captain or not. And so as the votes were tallied up and the interview processes were marked, the tension in our class got quite big. Would I be the class captain or would so-and-so be the class captain? And as that tension mounted, I recalled in my mind the question, did I do wrong? Did I answer the question correctly? And eventually, the class captaincy was announced. To cut a long story short, the lesson I learned in that process was that I needed to do what was right and trust God in the outcome. I needed to do what was right and trust God with the outcome. Now, you might be asking yourself at home, well, did you get it? Were you the class captain? Well, I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to tell you because whether I won or not is irrespective. Doing what was right and getting in the battle for Jesus is always going to be the winning formula. You might face opposition, but winning isn't everything. Being comfortable isn't everything. Getting what you want isn't everything. No, doing what is right for Jesus and allowing God to have the outcome, that is what is in the battle. Do what is right and trust God with the outcome. It doesn't matter if you win. It matters that you do what is right. Doing right at work 
doing right at school, doing right with your family, with your team that you live by. We are not a people that cut corners for comfort. We're not a people that compromises for our own happiness and our own values. We don't shy away from being holy because it gets challenging. No, we are a people that gets, puts those things down and gets in the game. We are a people that isn't distracted by the comforts of this world, but rather by the holiness of Jesus in the game. Persecution has never weakened the Christian church. In fact, over history, it'll show that, that persecution strengthens the Christian church. Persecution has never weakened the Christian character. It will always strengthen the character of the Christian. Christians who go towards the persecution in Jesus' name will always find an emboldening, an empowering, an encouragement to go on. You will always find a growth and a development in the Christian that's willing to walk the harder road and do what is right and let God handle the outcome. It's so easy to claim to be Christian. It's so easy to say that we are on the team, but we're not willing to be persecuted for what that name means. You shouldn't be worrying if you are being persecuted. And I'm not trying to mitigate some of the tough challenges and circumstances that some of our viewers are, are going through right now. We're going to pray for that persecution in a few moments. No, I'm talking about when we are looking for the easy way out rather than standing up for Jesus. You shouldn't be worried when you're persecuted for standing up for Jesus. You should be worried when you're not. You should have comfort at being uncomfortable. You should be willing to put yourself out there in Jesus' name because that's when you will experience Jesus the most. First Peter, sorry, 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 to 7 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for He cares about you. And he continues in verse 11 of chapter 5. So after you have suffered a little while, after you've endured the persecution, after you've endured the being put to death for Jesus and being excommunicated by your family for Jesus and being left out of the party invite list for Jesus, but after you've suffered these things for a little while, he will, have a look, he will restore you, he will support you, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. You might be suffering in Jesus' name right now. You might be suffering through things that you'd had nothing to do with. Your body is just slowly but surely giving out on you. The pain is increasing. The family member has scorned you. That process that you went through when your parents died and, and the children all fought over the inheritance and the, the issues and the anxiety that that created between you and your siblings is getting overwhelming now. The comments that are coming back on Facebook, the unfriending from your friends, the, the rejection from your family, all of these things are real and tangible. Done in the name and with the power of Jesus Christ to know that that suffering is only for a little while because Jesus is going to support you, encourage you, empower you, strengthen you, and place you on a firm foundation should be what it takes for you to press on in Jesus' name. To give love when there is unforgiveness given to you. To give the forgiveness when there's hurt dished out to you. That 
is what Jesus means by saying, get in the game. Despite the persecution that you will have out there, be holy, be chosen, be different in my name, and watch, all power will be given. All encouragement will be given because you have chosen to partner with Jesus, not partner with the world's comfort. Wherever you are in the world today, whatever circumstance you find yourself, whatever difficulty and challenge you are hitting your head against, know this, that you are being persecuted for Jesus Christ because you have decided to have a faith that will boldly declare Jesus' name in all of your circumstances. Over the healing of your body right now, we declare the boldness of Jesus' name, the authority that you have been given. You are not weak and you will not end up on the bench. You are going to end up alive and well with Jesus Christ on the battlefield where the difficulties and the challenges of life finally fall away and there will be no more tears, no more pain because the way we used to do things is no longer necessary. And that moment will come in your life. You can have that moment right now. Despite the whirlwinds and the cyclones and the tornadoes of life, you can have peace that being in the battle with Jesus is far more holy, far more weird, far more peculiar than being on the sidelines, mambering and pambering towards your own comforts. Thank you for listening today and receiving these words into your heart. As we pray now, we're going to pray that you find a faith and a boldness to step up despite your circumstances and get into the game. This is what it means. You start saying no to the things that are not good for you, and you start saying yes to the goodness of Jesus. You start saying yes to the things that He has called you to do, and watch your spirit be stirred to get in the game and be part of the battle that Jesus has called you to be part of. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. Father, we feel inspired because of the authority that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We will never hand that authority back because of our own comforts. No, we will use that authority to fight the fine fight. We will have the faith, the boldness, the encouragement, the empowerment to get into the game despite our circumstance and despite the oncoming persecution that comes with that. We embrace the persecution, not because we're weird, but because we are peculiarly yours. We have been chosen by you to be in the game, and we are going to be attentive to that call. We will not shrink back because of persecution. No, we will have a weird response to persecution. That weird response will be weird to the world, but familiar to us. And that response is the name of Jesus above all other names. And we pray that name over every circumstance, over every persecution, over every trial that is facing the Christian world and the Christian individual right now. Father, we thank you for your protection, for your power, for your emboldening of those Christians who are literally losing their lives because of your name. Father, we pray that same power, that same emboldening into our schools for youth that are standing up in their school situation and facing peer pressure and peer abuse because of standing up for your name. We pray for those in kindergartens and young schools that wish to know more about Jesus and less about things like evolution. We pray, Father God, that you give young minds a keen eye to see you and the battle that they're involved in too. Father, we pray 
for faith in those situations at work where we could turn and go the other way, that you ask us and you embolden us to be strong and stand true to your principles and fight the fight. We love you, Father God, and we would rather be in the battle of holiness than on the sidelines of comfort. We love you and we honor you, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us as you go on a journey of the journey towards holiness and not necessarily happiness. I hope and pray that you see the glory and the power of Jesus Christ in your life every moment of the battle. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us here at Victory Life Church Online. Looking forward to seeing you again really, really soon. You be blessed.